You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, greetings to you, my friend. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to tune into the podcast. And I hope this episode inspires and encourages you on your own journey. Special welcome if you're checking out the podcast for the very first time. I'm definitely glad that you're here, and I hope that you enjoy it. And for those who are regular listeners, thanks so much for your support. You're incredible. You're amazing. You rock, and I always appreciate it big time. A big shout out to my sponsors, inlpcenter.org, offering world-class online neuro-linguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. Everyone over there at INLP Center is incredible. The programs are so easy to learn and so useful, and I'm honored to be able to get my certifications through INLP Center. And to daily recovery support, interactive daily group calls in a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. If you find these podcasts helpful, please consider subscribing leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. That would be awesome. So today, my guest on the podcast is Charlotte Underwood. Charlotte is a mental health advocate and author residing in Norfolk, UK. I first came in contact with Charlotte when scrolling through Instagram and noticed her profile coming up through a mutual follower. Then I headed over to her Twitter account where she's very active and began reading her blog as well. After that, I knew I wanted to see if she'd be interested in coming on the podcast. Charlotte writes candidly and with a unique flair about her own mental health struggles and experiences, including the loss of her father to suicide, her own attempt on her life, as well as self-harm, depression, and food issues. During our chat, we discuss when she first realized there was something wrong in her life, the experience of losing her dad, how she manages the challenges of her own recovery and being an advocate, and the experience of navigating the mental health system in the UK and more. Thanks again to Charlotte for coming on and joining me. Her work is incredible. I definitely encourage you to check out her website and her blog, charlotteunderwoodauthor.com. So without further delay, let's jump into my chat with Charlotte Underwood right now. So hey, Charlotte, welcome to Beyond Your Past. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. It's an honor to have you here on the podcast. I'm, I'm interested to learn more about uh, your writing and the poetry and everything that you do in the areas of mental health. So why don't we take a minute and you can let everybody know more about you, the types of uh, mental health that you write about and pretty much anything you want people to know about Charlotte. Um, well, I guess I'm mostly known for my advocacy on Twitter where I just try to raise awareness. Um, I've written a book on my father um, who died by suicide. So I've raised awareness of that with all the, have the intention to. Um, and generally I blog frequently on all topics of mental health that I've been through. 
Um, so generally anything that's taboo I do talk about, but only if it's a personal experience. I've got a big thing about that. Um, and yeah, just try my best to tackle that stigma however I can. Yeah, absolutely. So is is the bulk of your writing or um, advocacy work on Twitter, is that mostly around uh, suicide awareness or do you write about uh, other things as well? I write about a lot of things. As I said, it has to be personal experience because I don't like to assume. Um, I like to use my life as a example to teach, I guess. Um, so those suicides really big in my heart because obviously it's affected me both through my dad's death and through my own experiences because I've been suicidal. Um, but I also talk about things like anxiety and eating disorders and self-harm and very, very broad because I've been through quite a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit a bit of everything, I think. So I was checking out your website. I'll be sure and put the links to, you know, your social media and your blog and everything in the show notes. Everybody can definitely uh, check it out um, if they're interested in learning more about you. So uh, you mentioned that you had also struggled with suicide uh, ideations and also writing about personal experiences and around the areas of depression. So maybe if you want to share a little bit about what your personal experience is like in terms of living with mental health challenges, like you've mentioned, perhaps uh, recovery strategies that you use, um, anything that you would like to share on the areas of your personal story? Yeah, I mean, I, I can never remember a time where I was not how I am. Um, they do say that mental health can be genetical. Um, there still needs some more research on that, but it seems likely because it's been, I've just been programmed this way. Um, I've always been more anxious, more cautious, a bit, as people would say, pessimistic, which I hate because I just see it as realistic. And I guess I'm just, I guess I've been a very old, a very old soul and a very young body, um, which isn't nice because it leads you to have quite a bad childhood because you can't do all those things that kids love to do. And I think for that, it's definitely caused me to be more depressed and isolated because I'm lacking those social skills and developmental skills and even motor skills um, all because of how mental health has affected me. And when it gets really dark, I can go from being very, very fine and happy and just how I am usually two moments later without a warning, just completely downhill. Um, it's very hit and miss. Um, and I just can't see out of the suicidal ideation. Luckily, the last attempt was only um, four years ago, just after my dad's death. So I've done very well in that respect. But at that time, I just wanted to be with my dad and I didn't see there's point living without him because he's the only thing that I actually cared about at the time. But yeah, it's just been, I guess, I had three years where I was really quite ill mentally. Um, I had to quit my job. I didn't leave the house for a year. I was just in probably my darkest place. I had been even more so than when dad had passed. Um, but writing's what did get me out of it because it got me to talk and let those feelings out. And from there, I just sort of, accidentally became this advocate and just over time I became so comfortable talking about my life my story that that's how I've recovered and that's my self-care because my biggest problem isn't about the physical self-care it's the mental 
because I block it all up and refuse to talk about it, which is very dangerous. So that's how I've mainly recovered is just by making sure I don't overwhelm myself with those thoughts and feelings that are bubbling up. Yeah. And from one advocate to another, I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad that you are writing about these uh, difficult subjects. The kind of stuff that that we talk about, that we write about, that we share is not exactly the most easy thing in the world to write about. You know, it's not like we're writing about, uh, you know, health topic or fashion or something. It's more, this is deep rooted uh, traumatic things that we deal with. And I always have nothing but the utmost respect for anyone who's able to write about it, to take their story and put it out there for, for everybody to see. And in a way that helps you heal, you know, continue your own healing and a way that also hopefully helps others. So you had mentioned how writing was, you know, kind of what saved you and really kind of helped, um, you know, over time morph into, you know, this advocacy role. And I want to get to that more in a second. Were you able to seek out any type of professional help in terms of therapy or counseling? Or was this something that you had to navigate uh, pretty much on your own and kind of find your way through it? Oh, in the UK, um, I know I've heard stories about how terrible it is in the US, but in the UK, it's a very messy system. And despite that we don't pay for it it's very difficult to get help um, and because of that it took me a long time to get help so I started noticing that I was definitely mentally ill at 14 but I haven't got real help until now the beginning of this year where I've just turned 22 and I do have it now and I'm so thankful to have it but it takes a lot of perseverance and a lot of determination to get it which is a shame but it's worth it if you keep pushing even though it's hard to do when you lack that energy. Mental health care is, you know, I mean, difficult just enough to go out and seek it out even when it is available. But then when it isn't available or it's so expensive or it's hard to get in and you have to wait so long, that just makes it even worse. So for those who are listening who maybe aren't in the UK and, you know, maybe share a little bit more about the struggle of just trying to find healthcare and maybe, you know, the resources. And is it more so that it's not readily available or it's too expensive or, you know, the waiting list is so long? I mean, you know, I think over here in the U.S., it it is, I would say, readily available in terms of there are plenty of therapists and counselors and psychiatrists and coaches out there. Obviously, of course, that depends on, you know, your ability to pay and insurance and all kinds of different factors. But over in the U.K., maybe you can share a little bit more about I guess maybe the different struggles that you had to endure and like, you know, perhaps some of the process that maybe you would like to see changed or your experience with it uh, that might give those who are also in that situation a bit of uh, maybe perspective or hope or just insight. Well, in the UK, you have two options. So you can go through the NHS, which is what we're provided um, where we can get treated for free or we can go private. But for people like me, who can't afford 60 to 150 pounds an hour, we don't have that choice. So you go through the NHS and you have to talk to a GP who's just your general doctor. They're not specified in mental health. And you have to tell them, um, yeah, I'm not feeling right. You have to tell them why. And you'll get a few, probably one or two responses They may give you medication, which is a whole different story because obviously it can take you a few tries like I've experienced to get the right medication. That can be quite draining as it is. But they'll also do you a tally chart, which is something I find ridiculous. And I'm sure you probably have them as well, where it's literally 
on a scale of one to ten with a happy face and a sad face how do you feel in mm-hmm. this and it's mad because you can't define your mental illness by that and depending on your school out of 25 I think it is depends how ill you are but that's not good at all from there you'll go for a primary service which you have to wait a year before you even get an appointment um and then you get three to six sessions from them um and they'll leave you um they'll also offer you a group that you can go to if you need help with anxiety um or something else i can't remember that's pretty cool um but for people like me group settings aren't the option um and then if in my kit case you are a pandora's box which is where you can't be seen by primary care because you have too many you've got a very heavy illness basically it's more than just oh i have mild anxiety or mild depression it's when you've got lots of stuff going on in your head and it's unsafe for you to only have three sessions so what you need is long-term care which is what I'm on but I still had to jump through two different assessments and wait another six months before I got my appointment from there um and now I've started well I've been under the care it's called the CPA the care program approach um which is basically where you have I describe it as a carer as you would with um when you go to a care home and you get people who come in and take the lovely old ladies and old men out for coffee and things like that, it's basically like that and it's quite nice. Um, but it's a process that you start off there and then you can get your therapy, group sessions and whatever else you need. But it depends on you. It's it's just a lot when you've got your head in a model and it's, as a people over here can be waiting one, two years before they get help. And even then it's a start. It could be another year or two before they actually get this help that they need, even when they've got their appointment, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I mean, it just, it seems like such a broken system. And, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I mean, I've interviewed others who are, who, who live in the UK. Um, I have clients in the UK and they have told me similar things that you have in terms of the waiting and, you know, the process that it takes and how long and, you know, the care isn't what they really need. And it, it just takes so long. And you wonder, you know, for, for, for a system that's been around for so long, you know, living over there and seeing it firsthand and living through it, is there anyone who is taking steps in terms, you know, to try and fix it? Or is it just kind of this is the way it is and that's really what the government's going to do and nothing else? Or I'm kind of curious as well, obviously, from your firsthand experience, is it something that you can see some positive changes, maybe some things that are happening based on <sighs> feedback, or is it just kind of doing much in the way oh, of adjusting? I've got to say this in a polite way without getting to <laughs> obvious views, but um, under our current government, it's unlikely that it will change. There's a lot of scandal lately in the news. I don't know whether you've seen it, but it's probably on like BBC mm-hmm. about how we've been given this money to keep our NHS going, which will go towards mental illness. And yet people are still having to be dealt by the police and call 111, which is our non-emergency number, but it still shouldn't be the first port of call. Um, It's all sorts of things. And it's basically patients aren't getting the help they need. And so therefore people are dying, which is the same case as what happened for my dad. And I mean, I've been there where I've been suicidal and then I've had to sit in a waiting room for a couple of hours um but it's the only way it changes is with advocates because 
the more it's why I do what I do because the more the more noise you make and the more times you stamp your feet eventually they'll listen and more and more people are standing up um there's a great girl on twitter uh hope virgo about eating disorders mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she's just made that petition um for doctors to not diagnose eating disorders based on weight which is important because a lot of people are getting turned away from the gp for having an eating disorder because they're not thin enough which is That's not terrible. right because like me, I'm overweight, but I have binge eating disorder. But because I'm not thin and because I don't usually purge, I'm not classed as having an eating disorder, even though it definitely yeah. is. So she's doing a great movement on there. Um, but whether something changes from it, we don't know. And that's why I just think if everyone keeps speaking up and telling their stories, eventually they have to listen. And that's all we can do. I'm so glad that that you are taking such an active role and, uh, you know, partnering up with others in the UK who are trying to in institute change because you're right. I mean, nothing's going to change unless people continue to speak up. So I'm glad that you have found your way through so many dark times and being able to use your writing and social media to help bring about change. And I'm sure that your work is helping so many people, probably many of whom you'll never even know, but that certainly doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, diminish the importance of what you're doing. And I, I just can hope from, you know, being, being across the pond here and having our own struggles over here, I can certainly just appreciate and just be so saddened at, at the state of what's going on, but also, um, you know, feeling encouraged somewhat because of people like you who, who are taking a stand and trying to make a difference. So I was checking out some of your social media, uh, you know, on uh, Instagram and on uh, Facebook and Twitter and such. So on your website, which is uh, charlotteunderwoodauthor.com, you can go there and check out uh, your blog and some other writings and your freelance services and all kinds of information about you. Um, I see that there's also a section about poetry. So I'm curious, maybe share a little bit about that, because I know creative strategies are huge in in those of us that struggle with any type of mental health challenge and poetry is a very very uh, amazing strategy to use it's very very helpful um, obviously helping you to get in touch with feelings deep inside so uh, for those who also enjoy reading or writing poetry maybe share some of your experience about what that particular strategy is meant for your own healing and maybe those who who read your work well it's funny because um originally my my dad was a bit of a poet himself, like nothing. He never published anything, but he enjoyed it. And I used to laugh at him and think, oh, poetry is so lame, as you do when you're a 14-year-old and you just don't have any interest. But I think for the last year, I believe it's a year I've been doing it, or maybe less. But I've just, I tried to do more short stories and book writing, but I just got so bored. And I've got such a short attention span, and it just felt more of a task than a way to let off steam and that's not good for self-care because that's the opposite of what it is um but I tried out poetry and I just it's it's something else because you can bend the rules of poetry you don't need to make sense you can just write out your feelings as they come out in your head and it's just great because it's just letting it out and it just ends up in this beautiful little poem at the end, which you could analyze in so many ways. And I just think it's a really beautiful thing because it just fits with mental health so perfectly with how unique and individual and how many perspectives there are of also each poem that's written. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really cool that your dad was a poet as well. And that's something that you can find peace in and something that really, really helps you. I, I know so many survivors of trauma who just love poetry. And, you know, I think it's always good to, to, to remind everybody, as you said, that poetry doesn't have to necessarily really make sense or, or, or flow in some sort of way. It's just your feelings uh, coming out in, in a creative way that that speaks to you. And chances are, it's going to speak to others as well. So obviously just because it doesn't rhyme doesn't mean it's not poetry. I, I mean, I think most of us can understand that. That's probably something you learn when you're mm-hmm. little and you're reading childhood poems. But when you get into the deep parts of uh, recovering from, from trauma and, 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 and being an advocate and using poetry, it's, uh, you know, it takes you to such an intimate place that the writer that I always just enjoy reading poetry because you are literally almost catapulted in, into their world for just, you know, a few paragraphs in a way that you can't always get with a book, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I just think however you write, if it feels good, then that's a matter. It doesn't matter how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I mean, it's all in the way that you want to share your story, whether it's blogging, whether it's books, whether it's poetry, you know, whatever, you know, short stories, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, looking on your website, I'm under the section for the books. And I, um, so maybe if you want to share a little bit about the books, um, you know, the first one that I see is called The House on the Avenue and the other one is called After Suicide. So if you want to share maybe a little bit about your inspiration for the books or where people can find them, maybe basically more of what they're about. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, House on the Avenue isn't from a realist perspective about mental health, but it is from the backstory um, because I used to see things and hear things. Um, and I'm quite, I don't like using the word paranoid, but I am because I've always lived with a sort of fear that I'm being watched or something in the dark is going to come at me. I've always had that, even at this adult age, I'll like have to close curtains and blinds because I'm scared of someone looking through. Um, and it's basically based off my experiences, but in a creative twist because I wanted to press and see if I could write a creative story, basically. So I mix those two. And After Suicide is just, um, it's my father's story from a few months before his attempt the time he was missing, time he was found, his funeral, and then my recovery after that. And it's basically that journey that I went through. And all it was ever meant to be was supposed to be this free resource for people who had been left behind after suicide, um, who needed someone to relate to, who needed a friend, because there's not much out there unless you want to pay £20 for a memoir, which is not what you would be thinking about when someone just passed away. Um, so that was my angle there. Yeah. And, you know, I love the fact that they're available online. And of course, if you just go to your website, um, the, the link is up there at the top. You can click on them and it takes you right uh, to the uh, Smashwords page where you can view both of these books. And, you know, again, I just think it's incredible that you're able to take such such sensitive personal topics and put it out there for others because, Uh, You know, I've written the book as well. And it's just when you can get to that point where you can share your story like that and reach other people, it really is. It's your own unique perspective on what you've endured. And you almost always find somebody who can relate to your story. And, uh, you know, I just I always as I said, I always have so much respect for those who can share their story like that. And of course, everything can be found on your website, which is charlotteunderwoodauthor.com. They can find more about your, you know, the books, the poetry your blog, um, all kinds of stuff. So maybe 
One of the last topics to cover today is, you know, what is your daily life like, your daily week, things that you do to take care of yourself, the writing that you do for others, and maybe just kind of share a little bit about what you, you know, do on on a daily basis to help yourself, to help others. And, you know, that way it gives people a bit more of an insight into kind of who you are, you know, not only the struggles, but also the triumphs and things that you go through each day. Yeah, daily life for me, for a mental survivor, it's a bit of a trick question, isn't it? Because mental health is different every every single day. And I have learned just to live day the day as it is. Like, I've been feeling a little bit low the last week. And today I've been particularly, I don't know, you know, when you just have no energy and it's not as if you've run a marathon, it's just your body just feels so heavy. Mm-hmm. And it actually feels like an actual sick day like when you're a kid and you're just sort of wrapped up in bed like oh um and that's been my day but you know I brushed my hair brushed my teeth so that was a good day um but then other days I can be doing things like going on the radio or writing a billion blog posts or going out with friends or traveling um it it's just so dependent on my mood and because my mental health can change very quickly or very, very slowly. I never like to overplan things or dig stones because I think when you have anxiety, you like to be organized, but when things are stuck in stone, it can feel a bit like a prison. Um, So yeah, I just tell myself, just do what I need to do to keep myself happy on the day. So if my mind's telling me I need to eat something, I'll go and do that. And that's a success. Or if it's saying, I'll go and go for a jog, I'll do that. And that's a success. So it's really as and when my mind tells me what it needs, because your body does tell you what it needs. And it's good to listen to that because that is also self-care. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great reminder is for those of us that do live as survivors of, of trauma um, survivors of all kinds of struggles. Sometimes a good day is just getting up, getting a shower, brushing your teeth and getting dressed. And, and that's all you can do. Right. And, you know, I've talked to other uh, advocates, people who, who, who have overcome just, you know, tremendous things such as yourself. And we can't underestimate, nor can we discount the importance of celebrating those kinds of wins. And you're right. Like I get some days too, where I just really have no energy. My body feels heavy. I feel like I just can't really do much. And some in those days, I have to just kind of take care of myself. And maybe, maybe that means taking a bit of a nap or maybe it means putting all the work aside and, and you know, scheduling some things around because my, my body, my brain is just not feeling it that day. There's something going on that maybe I haven't been able to pinpoint. And so you're right. I, I love that you brought that up because it, it's always such a great reminder is some days just getting out of bed is a gigantic win. And if you can't, because you're struggling deeply, there's, there's no shame in that. And that's, that's a big reminder, I think for all of us. And um, how long did it take you to be okay with that? You know, to the point of maybe not, not trying to push yourself or trying to do too much or being able to embrace the, the you know, the, the idea that, Hey, today I, I got out of bed and got dressed and brushed my teeth and that's all I'm going to do. And, and to not shame yourself for that. Is that something you still struggle with or how long did it take you to get to that point? Well, it makes me laugh because I think I had to leave my job um, because my mental health was terrible. And unfortunately, the job was great, but the management 
was making me ill um, and I had to make the choice between money and my mental health and at the time we had just moved out I was getting married and it was a big decision to make but I was from Charleston I was like I'm waking up I'm going to work I'm doing extra hours I'm then cleaning the house eating lunch and going to bed every day sometimes for a two day a uh, two week constant so I'll have a 14 day working week and then I was like why am I doing this if it's not making me happy and it's making me ill and I said isn't my life more important and it took me a good week to convince myself and I was like actually no I matter and following that as my mum said I've had this huge quarter life crisis so where I should be in 30 years I'm actually at 22 um, and I've realized that a lot of the pressures that we put on ourselves a lot of the things that we force ourselves to a lot of the happy unhappiness that we feel is actually through things that don't really matter at the end of the day and I guess I just sort of rejigged my inner knowledge I guess and I realized that life isn't about that um, nine to five job having to have a mortgage having to drive having to copy everyone else it's not about that and it's more about making the most of what time you do have here and rejigging your head to focus on the actual priorities the real ones that really matter that's a big step and I said it hit me last year very emotional time I think so the bit it's a bit heavy when you realize that a lot of your life as a child is I guess made up is a good way to put it um but yeah when you start to value yourself and give yourself more self-respect that helps and I think with everyone it's different I've seen people younger than me realize it I've seen people older than me realize it. I think you just get to a point eventually where you're like no enough is enough I'm worth more than this and they're absolutely right they are you are so right I, I'm I'm sitting here kind of just nodding my head as you're talking because I went through something similar recently as well I mean I spent 17 years working for a company you know a, a nationally known company here in the U.S. and actually worldwide known. And, you know, I spent 17 years there and, and it, it was a good job, you know, similar to you, it was making good money, had benefits, had security. I just, I felt like there was something more, you know, for me, it took me quite a long time to figure out what I was supposed to do in life, what I felt like, you know, I was meant to do. I w get to get the courage to, to stand up for myself and put my own mental health, my own ambitions, everything you want to call it um, first and take that step and, and of course, you know, leave that job and then go into doing something that I love and something that I'm passionate about. And, you know, similar to you being able to go out and, uh, you know, write blogs and, you know, be on radio shows and do poetry and be an advocate. This is, this is life-changing stuff that, you know, we can't always see in the future. Obviously we can't see it all, but when we can realize that no matter what is coming down the road, we're taking steps to take care of ourselves. That's a, that's a huge step. And it's not something that we can definitely dismiss or take lightly because, uh, you know, just the idea of putting yourself work first and make and acknowledging your worth to be able to do something like, like this has to be, well, and at least for me, and maybe you can share too, is it was incredibly exciting and incredibly scary. Um, is that something that you experienced as well? Oh, I was absolutely terrified, but you're, <sighs> It's this feeling that you can't describe unless you do it because you're literally escaping your own oppression, which you've created yourself. 
and it's a beautiful feeling. It really is. But I couldn't put it into words. Getting out of a toxic situation at a job, and even if it's not toxic, maybe it's just you're at a point where you want more out of life. You want to try something. You want to live life because you know it, because you want to experience something. You don't want to just be the nine to fiver type of thing. And, you know, I mean, if that is something you want to do, great, more power to you, you know, no judgment here at all. But for those of us who who kind of want something different, maybe a different experience, it's, I, I just, I think it's amazing that you're able to take that step that you have that kind of awareness to, to leave a job that, you know, wasn't allowing you to feel healthy, to be healthy, to take care of yourself, and to jump into a world of helping others. Um, it's, 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 it's tremendous. I give you all the respect in the world. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure that we wrap this up by by letting everybody know where they can find you uh, in terms of your website, your books, uh, maybe share a little bit more about the freelance writing that you do and uh, anything else that you want people to know about Charlotte Underwood. Most of my best way to see what I'm doing and contact me is through Twitter because I live on it um, literally 24-7 and that's C Underwood UK. So it's pretty easy to find. Um, and then all my written work will be on my blog and my LinkedIn as well. Um, again, see Underwood UK and charlotteunderwoodauthor.com. I think I've got my name set to the same for all of my social media, but I have a, I have got a list all on Twitter. <laughs> I've tried to be as helpful as I can be with my social media for people that do follow me. So. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you were on the show today. I know I was honored to learn some more about you. I'm glad that we connected and I'll be sure and put links to all your social media, uh, everything on your website in the show notes so everybody can check it out. So Charlotte, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day. I know that I know there's a several hour time difference between where I am and where you are in the UK. So I'm glad that you were able to find some time and I'm honored to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for or supersedes professional medical help or mental health counseling. Thank you again to my sponsors, INLPcenter.org and Daily Recovery Support. I hope you'll consider checking them out as they've joined forces to help keep the lights on here at the podcast and help Beyond Your Past reach as many as possible with a message of hope. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, or if you're curious about what life coaching is and how it might be right for you, then head on over to beyondyourpast.com and claim your free one-hour session where we can talk about the struggles in your life in the areas of anxiety and trauma recovery and see if coaching might be a great fit for you. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it with all your friends. See you next time.